0: Welcome to the Source Technology uh, LA Cyber Team podcast. Join us here once a month on our Source Talks podcast network here on LinkedIn and elsewhere, where myself and other fantastic recruitment professionals, as always, will be breaking down some challenges and future outlooks across a variety of industries from both a security and staffing perspective. I'm Alex, your host as usual for today's talk, um, joined here by Ron Sharon, uh, Vice President of Information Security at Mercer Advisors. Um, we'll be sitting down with professionals like himself roughly once a month to talk through the information security sector. Um, I'll leave it up to him to introduce himself and then I guess we'll just break into it, but thanks for joining us, Ron. Oh, thank you for having me, Alex. Good, glad to hear it. Um, I guess just to get started, if you're willing to maybe give like a brief background on yourself, how you got into security would be helpful and then maybe about your current role and and where you sit within the industry.
1: Yeah, of course. So I've been doing uh, technology for about 18 years now. I started uh, um, going into cybersecurity about 9, 10 years ago. Um, The transition for me was... um, not a standard transition that people do in the cybersec world. Um I was working on a project. I was working in a company and I came to my boss and said, hey, um we need to have some security in place. And he said, okay. And I said, <laughs> great, I'll work on it. And that's how I became in cybersecurity. Sure. Uh, no, you know, long, lengthy interviews. It's nothing like it is today. It was for me, it was it was a, a shift because I saw a need. I said somebody needs to do it. I'm going to do it. And my boss back then said, okay, do it. So that's how I got into information security.
0: Fair enough. Definitely an interesting journey, and certainly people I talk to in the industry that are at more senior levels all have kind of their different ways that they broke into it. Obviously, like you said, it's not now what it what it used to be. And then currently, they're Mercer Advisors. If you're willing to kind of describe some of the responsibilities you have as as kind of the senior security leader, and and you know how you're enjoying it, how you see maybe some problems that you're having personally, and maybe some problems you're seeing in the industry in general. Um. So I take care of the entire information security structure in Mercer Advisors. Mercer
1: Advisors is a registered investment advisor. So we take care of people's investments, um,
0: taxes, estate planning, et cetera. Um, legal um, and, and, and things we need to do. Um, and I'm in charge
1: of um, getting to the nitty-gritty and saying, okay, this is what we need to do in the security side. Uh, SEC wants to do this, Uh, FINRA needs to do that, Um, and this is how it translates into a uh, security program. Um, And my job is also to review that security program, to build a security program, review the security program, and audit uh, uh, the security program and make sure that uh, we in MERS Advisors do what the policy says we
0: need to do. Great. And what are maybe some of the challenges that you're personally seeing as a senior leader within security and maybe also that you're seeing in general across the industry? Um, I
1: think there's two major issues. Um, it's just a fast, very fast-moving world right now. Um, we get new ransomware every week. We get new um, threats every every week. Um, so it's a very fast-moving target that we need to uh, um, pay attention to on a daily daily basis. It's 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 no no uh, no rest right. for us. Um, and the other one is just getting uh, enough people to to work in the field. Um, we have, uh, there was an article a while back saying there's 450,000 people um, that, uh, I'm sorry, 450,000 jobs open uh, for cybersecurity professionals, um, which means that we, have an, uh, we need a lot more people to defend against whatever is coming uh, towards us, uh, especially in the industries that are uh, um, like financial industries, uh, power industries, um, uh, medical industries that are target for, for these kind of uh, activities.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And I know you and I have talked personally about you know bridging the skills gap and the skills gap in general across the industry. It's certainly something I've talked about plenty on this podcast, and I've seen you posting about it yourself on LinkedIn. You know, what are maybe some of the solutions you see towards towards bridging that gap, as we say it? Um, Because obviously, part of it is at the more junior level, the entry level, people are struggling to break into the industry. There's a lot of barriers. Um, So I'd argue half of it's around that. But I would love to hear your thoughts about bridging that gap. I think the gap starts. There is uh, the gap is. I
1: don't like the word gap because it's it makes it makes people think that there actually is something really wrong with with the amount of people that are applying and the amount of jobs open. Hmm. Um, The gap uh, is actually in our perception of it. um, It's very hard to get an entry level um, job in cybersecurity. If you look around, an entry level job in cybersecurity on LinkedIn and Indeed. Um, you will see entry-level cybersecurity analysts that require three to five years' experience. Now, we can all agree that three to five years' experience is not Mm -hmm. entry-level. And that's where the problem starts. It's understanding security, either hiring managers or HR departments and recruiters, understanding that uh, the fact that um, an entry-level analyst does not need a CISP, a CISM, uh, a sort of full-hacker Uh, certified hacker um, certificate and they also do not have the three to five years experience because again that's not entry level so the the entire concept of getting into the door um, is hard because people just can't get into the door they see these uh, job openings out there they read um, they read what uh, the requirements are and they a lot of them don't apply because they see requirements that are way above uh, what they need uh, to have uh, for an entry level job, or they don't have the necessary three to five years experience because, again, that's not entry level. Right. Um, so right. that's that's the major I think hurdle that that starts the the problem. Uh, yeah. Continuing on on that and building on top of that is um, if you hire if you want people that know how to deal with cybersecurity incidents and you're looking for a little bit more seasoned people, there's no problem in hiring people that are junior and, and leveling, the, leveling them up a little bit. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of material, free courses out there that you can use as a part of the 30, 60, 90 plan of hiring someone after you're hiring them mm-hmm. uh, to bring them up to speed on on things that you need to bring them up to speed on. If it's a, how to analyze packets, if it's how to analyze logs, if it's how to be a pen tester. I'm not saying there's going to be expert in pen testing in 90 days, but 90 days is enough time to get them up and running um, and to get them where they need to be to be at least in a, in a mid-junior level. Um, so uh, it's something we, we need to do as an industry to get these people in the door and start working instead mm-hmm. of just keeping recruiting for months and months.
0: Right I agree and I'm glad you brought up that second point especially about you know wanting to train the people. Obviously training can cost quite a bit of money and, and some companies don't have budgets that's probably where they're coming from as far as setting out recs that are entry level, but are requiring three to five years of experience because they can't train people, even though they really only need an entry level person per se. How do you think that the hiring managers, companies, the industry in general can can alleviate that, work around that, I, I guess? Well, the the concept that
1: training costs money, it it could cost money, but yeah. there's a lot of free materials out there. It doesn't to have to, right? to, It doesn't have to. Like if you know what you're doing, like try and hack me. Um, Great website for free. Um, it's a free website that teaches you how to do things in the cybersecurity world, like mm-hmm. how to analyze logs, like how to hack things, capture the flag games, um, and it's completely a hundred percent free. Um, you know, Udemy, for instance, that's not free, but it's minimal costs, like a hundred I think it's a hundred something dollar per user per per year.
0: Yeah,
1: um, it's not a lot. It's not a lot of money um, to train someone up. Uh, to do it so it could be a little bit of cost it could be free it could be minimal cost mm-hmm. um it sure it sure is cheaper to do that than to keep on recruiting and interviewing yeah. people for three or four months definitely because think about it you do a recruitment you have to involve the recruiter a recruiter's time hiring managers time reading resumes doing interviews interviews takes time it's like a 30 minutes here for a person, 30 minutes there mm-hmm. like it costs at the end of the day it's it's great money i call it because nobody ever Adds it up. It's not money right off out of your pocket, right? But we all know the same time is money. So each, you know, a recruiter spends ten hours a, a month uh, recruiting for one job, and then the hiring manager spends 15, 15 hours a month recruiting recruiting for the same job. Um, it it adds up. And mm-hmm. if you do the if you do this for three or four months, then you lost like hundred hours.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I'm glad you. Brought that up. I think often hiring managers can miss that. As far as they're trying to solve the problem with with recruiting and and you know spending a bunch of money on that, but if they just let the person that they're potentially hiring go through training, for example, it, you know it solves the same problem. Obviously, what are some other? Um, I know you mentioned uh, Bug Bounty and HackMe and some other things. What are some other? Um, external programs that, you know, entry-level people can maybe jump into? I know I've talked about OWASP in the past on this kind of podcast before. What are maybe some others that you might have insight into?
1: Uh, well, OWASP is great. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, you know, there's a lot of free materials out there. Uh, mm-hmm. Google, number one tool for everyone. Just Google free tools for getting into cybersecurity. You can take there's on YouTube, for instance. Yeah. I'm not No, I'm not even going to complicated uh, uh, platforms for teaching cybersecurity. YouTube has a uh, Um, a lot of information on there. If you want to know how to, you know, starting from, if you're transitioning into the tech world and you want to do cybersecurity, like a lot of people ask me, what's the first step? And the first step, in my opinion, is is always network. Mm -hmm. So ask people around what they like, how do they like it, uh, find your path in cybersecurity. But after that, if you don't have the necessary skill skill, uh, for technology skills, for instance, to be an entry-level cybersecurity person, you know, you can take an A plus course. You don't necessarily need to take the certification, but just know how a computer works. Basics. Just know how a network works. Basics. Um, just know if you do if you're doing Security Plus or Network Plus. Just know the basics. You don't need to take the certification, but just know how things work. So when you right. do get to a certification that 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 means something, like a certified hacker,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, you can take that fully knowing what they're talking about because you can't hack if you don't know what a packet is. Right. No, you you can't you can't do anything if you don't know what a SQL table is. If you don't, if you're doing SQL injections, so Mm -hmm. you need to have the basics. Mm -hmm. So just you know YouTube. Um, Yeah. The courses on YouTube. Learn the information. Don't you don't necessarily need certifications, but you do need to know. uh, You do need to know a lot of background.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know you brought up certifications there, and definitely want to at least ask a question around that. Obviously frustrations often come about when entry-level roles are asking for a CISSP or all these other certifications. When do you think it's particularly necessary that um, more junior people in the industry start looking at certain certifications to get? I know penetration testers, for example, go after like an OSCP and, you know, certified ethical hacker. When do you think kind of the stages that, that people should start looking at those, if ever? Um, well, my, my opinion
1: shifted a while, uh, like a short time ago. Sure, the reason it shifted is Sorry. i sorry have a uh i have a CISP. i've worked on the cisp i have uh, the nest the necessary uh, five years experience in uh, technology and i.t um and security to get a assist i got a recommendation yep. um from a cisp holder like you should um but what i'm seeing right now is since the pandemic started and a lot of people transitioned home um they had a lot over you know uh, got furloughed or I uh, got let go they have a lot of time on their hands to take certifications so something i've seen which i am a little bit uncomfortable with mm. is people with not the necessary past work experience i've seen yeah. a, a person that just finished college and they they said um i got my CISP," and i'm like how is that possible i've been in this industry for 17 years yeah. i only got my CISP three years ago like three <clears throat> and a half years ago um, how is it possible that a college graduate got their cyst? Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know how the certificates hold up at the moment, but this is coming from someone that's in the industry. I know how to read uh, uh, the room, I know how to read um, uh, what people are saying. Uh, certificates are good for when you're looking for a job, and that's because recruiters and HR managers and sometimes yeah. hiring managers look for them. Yeah. Um, they, they, it says to them that that person know what they're talking about. Is that really the case? I don't really know. Sometimes people are just really good in taking tests, mm-hmm. um, and I've seen and I've seen it around. I've seen people finishing Certified Hacker, Cisp, uh, and CISM and and uh, CISA, the auditor, the auditing per- portion yeah. in three months, which only means to me mean that these people are very good test takers. Do they have the experience they need to be de- to be a good information security person? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, so I'm torn. I'm torn between saying because I know that managers are looking for certificates. Uh, But because I'm in the industry and I know what to look for and what to look at, I'm kind of on the fence right now when it comes to them.
0: Right. Fair enough. And Mike, who we had on our last podcast, also kind of brought up a similar point as far as CISSPs and some other certifications not quite holding up like they used to. Um, You know, you're mentioning somebody right out of college being able to get that. Obviously, that doesn't actually display you know what their skills might be and you know technical recruiters hiring managers need to be able to work through that and oftentimes they don't but on the other hand an entry-level job description that's requiring a cissp is not really productive for the industry i don't think um, right. it's definitely not because they don't know so kind of cssp
1: you know when yeah. you look at these uh, job descriptions sometimes you see a long list of certificates that yeah. are in information security world but they hardly relate uh, uh to each other Mm-hmm. For instance, CISSP has has nothing to do with CISA, but they ask for it in the same line. So, a candidate has to have CISA, CISM, or CIS, uh, Certified Hacker certificates, nope. and C- or CISA, which do not don't do not
0: cert- certify the same things, right? Yeah, fair enough. Kind of to transition a bit, obviously information security as a whole, there's so many different domains and different topics, auditing, you can get into offensive security, et cetera. When do you think is a good point, if ever, for a junior or an entry-level security professional to maybe start specializing in in one aspect of it? Or do you think they should, you know, try to approach it jack of all trades, master of none for as long as they can? Um, I would recommend uh,
1: finding something early on. Something that you like most, people, and that I completely understandable, want to be red team uh, pen testers. Right, they want to be the guys or the girls that sit on our keyboard somewhere trying to hack somewhere because that's mm-hmm. the that's where the excitement is. But that's not where all the uh, excitement is. There's like blue teaming also and GRC. You know, uh, government risk of compliance. It's a big deal of it too. If you like reading, if you like writing, that might be an avenue for you as well. Yeah. Uh, to but I would I would um, recommend. Uh, to have a—that's why I say um, network at the beginning when you start your journey in cybersecurity. Just see what's out there, see what people are saying. A lot of people are posting their current journey, uh, so read about it. Um, um, follow uh, recruiters, uh, cybersecurity recruiters, and headhunters because they keep they all the time. But they post um, yeah. so uh, so do you have yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of time. They post things that that uh, are not on on the job boards, um, mm-hmm. and you can get into. And you can read what what's the necessary qualifications for it there if you're gonna think about if you're gonna like it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so always network, always find a find where your path is early on because
0: you don't really want to make like a shift in the middle of the road. That's that's kind of bumpy. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. That's a great insight. I think. I mean, the networking piece with any industry is going to be crucial, not just security, obviously. But I think you know people like yourself and and Mike who we've had on in the past recruiters, like you said, it's good to to make those connections. Um, and I'm you know us two seem to certainly be open to that kind of stuff. Um, I want to ask as well, we've talked about it on the podcast plenty of times, but as far as like certain underrepresented groups in the industry, you know, women, some veteran groups, you know, how do you think that they specifically, or how do you think the industry can be more open or more able accepting of, of those kind of groups? Um, so especially veterans, if we're talking about veterans, they have uh,
1: their, their path to cybersecurity is a very interesting path and yeah um, i had a, a person reach out to me and saying to me um hey ron i'm uh, I'm, uh, I'm gonna be out in a couple of weeks um he that person is a um uh, i believe it was 12 years experience in air force intelligence mm-hmm. um and when he applied uh, for jobs uh, the response was well you're, you're great you're just not technical enough and i'm thinking in my head you you, you actually rejected a 12-year veteran of of in of Air Force intelligence because right. they weren't technical enough, and like I said, you know technical skills you, you can build you can build them. It's 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 not hard. It's A plus network plus security right. plus. Yeah. These are the basic technical skills. It's you can probably learn it in less than ninety days. So you rejected a twelve years experience in 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 uh, Air Force intelligence because they didn't have uh, x amount of of. Of experience. And I'm and I'm a big supporter of the 70, 70% rule. It's mm-hmm. uh it's something that I've read about the Marines. It means that 70, if you have a a confidence of a decision in 70%, it's like you're having it's hundred percent you you go forward with that decision. So even if you have a, a candidate which only has like 70% of the qualification, um, and that doesn't apply, of course, to federal jobs. This is in uh, uh, non-federal jobs, if they have 70% of the qualifications, hire them. And, you know, you put them in, you have a 30, 60, 90 onboarding plan for those people and yeah. bring them up to par. Because where are you going to find out there, for instance, a 12-year veteran of of Air Force intelligence? You're not. Yeah. Like, it's fair. So that skills that you will never be able to find. You, you can have a lot of people that have, like, technical experience and you can teach technical experience. That's not yeah. that's not a deal breaker.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's good insight. And it's good anecdote story-wise. Those are kind of the main questions I have as far as, you know, where the industry's at, some of the issues we're seeing. I'm curious if you have a question for me, obviously, on the talent side, you know, working in a variety of different companies and industries. Do you have any questions about, you know, the state of the security industry from the talent side? Yeah. What's uh, what's your biggest pain point? Yeah. Great question. I mean, it, it kind of goes in and out as far as different pain points. I think often and it's similar to what you've just said is, you know, we'll have. Strong job wreckout, we'll send candidates over, and oftentimes it'll be like one certain thing that they'll get hung up on. And you know, if it's a, if it's like a really senior role, that might make sense. They're looking for a really senior candidate, but for more mid level roles, to we recruit for, and hiring managers or, or recruiters get hung up on like one specific thing that they're missing, um, and they'll just deny them right off the bat. And Like you're saying, if they're seventy percent confident. You know, you go for it every time. And in a lot of cases, people will be like 95% confident. And I'm having to let candidates down saying they don't want to move forward with them. So that's a little bit frustrating. Um, I think if if companies and hiring managers have plans after they hire, like you're saying, 30, 60, 90, whatever whatever plan you want to implement, you can fill in any gaps that you're hearing during the interview process. Interview processes in general, of course, are imperfect. And they're always going to be. You're not able to fully understand how an entire company works, how an entire team is going to interact with each other. You only have whatever, three, four, or five rounds of interviews that you can work off of. And outside of that, you kind of just have to trust a little bit that your processes are good enough to, you know, get the team where it needs to be so that's that that's definitely a pain point i see um or at least that comes to mind rather rather quickly you can change anything in the industry what would you've changed yeah i think the easy one is definitely um just job descriptions i don't think job descriptions want are written well enough that it explains a need and it explains exactly who they're looking for though and we've talked about this on the phone in the past they'll just maybe grab a job description from another company and just put it into theirs and change a couple words. And that's not really how you should approach it. Um, I think job descriptions is, is definitely one of them. And then obviously the requirements around those, you shouldn't auto cancel somebody if they don't have one specific thing you're looking for, you know, depending on how important it is. So that's probably one of them It's just, you know, HR and and the hiring manager, the technical people need to work together to create it, because obviously, HR is missing technical aspects of it. And a hiring manager, for example, might not have some of the wordings and the the understanding behind, um, you know, attracting talent. So it should be a collaboration. I think a lot of people miss that. Yeah. So what would be your best
1: recommendation, talent recommendation for people, entry level people that are trying to go into cybersecurity.
0: Yeah, I mean, network, 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 like we've said, I think, um, and not just security people like yourself, but people on the talent side, um, whether it's an agency or an internal recruiter, obviously, they're trying to hear about, they're just trying to get their jobs filled at the end of the day, right? The people on the internal talent side, um, and if they're having people reach out, they're happy to recommend other people. So networking is, is is the number one thing. I'm obviously not technical myself, so there's not a ton of like technical programs I can go recommend, but the more you're able to... Um, Reach out to people, have connections, send referrals. It, it, it's just going to help you out at the end of the day. And also, I mean, LinkedIn—call it what it is—but it, it really is a tool for for looking for a job and for hiring people. Building out your brand, I think, is really important. You know, sometimes I'll run across profiles that just aren't built out very well, and I think maybe internal people and HR leaders might look at that as, as a negative. So at least put some time into your LinkedIn. And there's certainly a ton of resources around how, in, how to build that out, but that's another kind of recommendation I would have. Perfect. So yeah, yeah. So, uh, those are great questions. Um, like I said, I don't necessarily have something else. Um, I appreciate you grabbing time. Obviously, we'll be in touch. I appreciate everybody tuning in. As always, we'll have this kind of show podcast at least once a month. Um, thanks a ton, Ron. Thank you very much, Alex. Appreciate it.